Welcome to 24 Hour Expert, where we challenge each other to see what we can learn on random topics in just a day. I'm Allie. And I'm Amy. Let's see what we've learned. There's also a puppy with us, so we apologize in advance. Yes. Amy and I get to be together in person to record this episode. However, that also means Spud gets to be in person <laughs> to record this episode. That means Spud is here, too. Okay. Well, let's get this party started. Hi, Aim. Hi, Al. Not like they don't know we're just sitting right next to each other. <laughs> so I have kind of a fun one for us this evening. Okay. Or whenever you are. Don't want to miss the joke. In a kind of follow-up to sewer systems, we are going to talk about water towers. That's exciting. They're an integral part of sewer systems because they create the gravity. Kind of. Well, part of it. <laughs> I don't know what to do. You are kind of right. So, Amy, I mean, you've already kind of done this, but what do you think a water tower is? A water tower is a water storage facility. So it stores water and then also adds gravitational force because it pushes everything down to make every other part of the sewer system work. Yes, for the most part, a water tower is an elevated structure that supports a water tank at a height sufficient to pressurize a distribution system for potable water and provide emergency storage for fire protection. That's what I said. Oh, you totally nailed it. You did a great job. Water towers often operate in conjunction with an underground or surface service reservoirs to store treated water near where it will be used. So water towers are located in the area of their use. Oh, I also, I feel like they're kind of like that quintessential small town, like you are here kind of a thing. Yes. Many cities paint their name on their water tower. We're going to talk about some fun water towers at the end, Oh, but we'll get there. There are some water towers that store non-potable water for just for fire protection or industrial purposes. So potable means you can drink it. Non-potable, you can't drink it. Most are connected to public water supplies. Non-potable ones would not be, because obviously you don't want non-drinkable water in the public water supply. Right. So fun fact, and Amy already kind of, not, I was going to say alluded, but you flat out said it. One reason you can use water when the power is out is because you don't need electricity to use a water tower. Spot. (laughs) Amy, get your dog. Come here. Come on, bud. If you heard a good sniff right there, we had a guest uh, expert. He does love a good water bowl. Not our best audio. We apologize. (laughs) So like Amy said, the water towers rely on the elevation to create hydrostatic pressure to distribute the water through the water system. However, when the water does run out, then it can't refill. Again, this is if the electricity is out because the pump needs electricity to pump the water back up into the tower. But if the electricity goes out for a period of time, you still have access to water. I love that. As a person who likes to pee in a power outage. And flush. And flush. And an occasional cold shower is also fine by me. There you go. So let's dive into the history a bit. Elevated water storage tanks have existed since ancient times in various forms, but the modern form of pressurized towers for public water systems was developed in the mid-19th century. Pumps were initially steam-powered, so again, the pump that refills the tank when it's empty, and were just a series of pipes until the storage tanks were eventually added because there was an increasing demand as the cities grew 
for more water. So originally we're just having pipes. Now we're adding the tank. So now we can hold a ton more water for everybody in the city. Does the water actually service those communities or is it just now part of the like pressurizing system? No. When you go to turn on your faucet, it's coming through the water tank. Cool. Well, through all the pipes to your home, but you know what I'm saying. Yes, that water is the actual storage for the city water. In cities like New York City, where there is, you know, a very dense population, small water towers may be constructed and sit on top of individual buildings. So the whole city might not be using the public water supply. Got it. Or I also read, and I think I have it somewhere in my notes, that buildings over a certain height have to have their own water supply on the roof because the city's pressure isn't enough to get all the way to the top. So like the super tall skyscrapers have their own water tanks on the top of the building so gravity can just bring the water down versus pressure trying to take it up. Which is handy. Yes. Especially because it's not like they have a lot of space for water towers if there's a lot of tall buildings around. So fun fact, when steam locomotives were used, they required water stops every 7 to 10 miles. Oh my so god. along all the train routes, there was water stops so they could refill. Well, it makes sense because you need water for steam. Right. But 7 to 10 miles, think about how many stops, stops you'd have, have to make. make. Yeah, exactly. And then to think that that was still a more efficient way of transportation than another thing, you know? Yeah, that's what's crazy is that that was efficient transportation. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the design of water towers. Um, a big orb on a skinny leg. Yes. Like me. Just kidding. My legs aren't skinny. <laughs> a lot of them look like a giant sphere on top of, you know, a tube or maybe, you know, like a tripod looking thing. Some that I saw pictures of were a giant tube with a funnel looking thing on top. And some come in other shapes, but typically they are made from steel or reinforced concrete and usually have a coating to protect the water from the effects of any of the building materials. So there'd be a liner inside. Oh, okay. So that nothing from the concrete or steel like leaches into the water. That's a good note. I guess I always just thought like the water was floating around in there and then it was like going through the filtration system, but that makes more sense. You know, it goes from the sewer system filtration stuff into the water tank distributed to residents. So it needs to be sanitized when it gets or it needs so to be sanitary when it, it gets It needs to there. stay sanitary, yeah. Got exactly. It. Yep. So the height is a very important function of the water tower because it's the height that provides the pressure for the water system. Pumps often supplement the water tower, but relying on pumps alone would be very expensive. And also you would need some huge pumps to pump and pressurize the water for the quantities that are needed. And not to mention, or like we did mention, I guess, if the power goes out, then there'd be no water if we relied solely on pumps. Right. So the nice thing about having the tank, not only can we use it with no electricity, but a smaller size pump can serve enough people in a peak time because there's the huge reserve of water versus trying to have a pump big enough to serve everybody. And then the pump simply refills the tank on off hours. So how do the pumps know that they need to refill the water tank? Well, they're sensors. They're sensors that are used to monitor the water levels and they can turn the pumps on, make sure the tank stays full. You didn't even really let me guess though. Could have been magic, tiny elves. Could just be a dude sitting up there. Dude with glasses, I don't know. Who has a complicated series of knocks he uses. 
Tell so us. that they travel down the tube of the water tower so the guy at the bottom knows to turn the pump on. Did you ever used to think when you were little, like, there was a guy in the vending machine that was like, oh, she ordered the Coke? No, because you can see the thing turn. What, is he back there cranking the knob? Maybe. I mean, like, you know, in the 90s. No, I don't think I ever thought that. Or, like, when there's, like, movie production things, you're like, there's for sure a guy on that pulley. Not, like, a machine or, you know, CGI. It was, like... Manual. Never mind. We've gone down a rabbit hole. No. No. I don't know. All right. Fun fact. Just because we've been talking a lot about pressure, 98 feet high will create 44 PSI, which is pounds force per square inch. So every square inch is 44 pounds. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty forceful. Yeah. The architecture around water towers varies greatly. Some are incorporated into the architecture of the building so they'll have facades around them to mimic what the outside of the building looks like others just look like giant spaceships sitting on top of stilts others in especially hilly or mountainous regions might utilize the natural landscape to their advantage and they might just be built on the hill or the mountain so they just naturally go down oh that's a fun one stop reading ahead of my notes sorry okay i'll just look straight ahead with my thoughts i mean you can look at me but stop reading my notes okay one article I read mentioned how some water towers have been repurposed for other uses once they are no longer in service. And it was just funny to me because some of the things they mentioned were used as observation towers. That one, okay, yeah, great observation tower. And like grain storage? Hotels. Hotel? Grain storage was not one I saw. Oh. But hotels, homes, restaurants. Who's crawling up a water tower to, with their groceries? Right? You have a pulley system for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, maybe they put an elevator in the tube. Did you say groceries? Did I miss that? No, I said hotels, homes, restaurants. Restaurants. Well, restaurant, cool. Yeah, like observatory. Yeah. I assume kind of like, you know, like the one that's big spinning up on top of wherever that is. Yeah. The needle. Yeah. In Seattle. But I just thought, how fun would it be to repurpose a water tower? It would be a real showpiece. You yes. know, all your friends would be like, let's go over to Allie's house because she lives in the water tower. I'm like, yeah, it's 107 stairs. Well, you know, maybe you'd have we to should have all chip in and get it at an elevator. Elevator or platforms along the way that have, like, activities. Like, first platform. Or leaps, maybe, like, a bathroom halfway. Yeah, and, like, water station. Yeah. Drinking fountain in a bathroom halfway <laughs> on my water tower if you need a quick pit stop. So back to real water towers. <laughs> In most towns, the water people drink comes from either a well or a river or a reservoir, normally a local lake. The water is treated in a water treatment plant to remove sediment and bacteria. We already learned about that, and we all know how that works. The output from the water treatment plant is a clear, germ-free water. A high-lift pump pressurizes the water and sends it into the water system's primary feeder pipes. The water tower is attached to the feeder pipes, so it is extra storage. Whatever is not being pumped out is pumped up into the tower and stored. Nice. That's how the whole system works. I like it. You said that very fluidly. Thank you. Good job, Science Alley. Thanks so much. Fun fact, during a fire, the water demand increases significantly and may greatly exceed the capacity of the pumps at the water plant. So a water tower guarantees there be enough pressure to keep water flowing through the fire hydrant system. Now that's a good fun fact. Yes. So water towers very important to make sure we have water to fight fires. Mm-hmm. Another just fun fact on a fun fact. Fire insurance rates are normally lower in a community in which the water system has a water tower. Because yeah. Because there's a 
reserved water. Yeah, because otherwise I'm sure they have to build infrastructure to support the other things. Or you're just at a higher risk that the hydrants won't work, I guess. Mm-hmm. If it's a especially busy time and a lot of people are using water, there won't be enough pressure. Also, I forget, I should have put it in my notes what the statistic was, but it was something like if for some reason the pressure in the system goes down to like 20 PSI or less or something, again, I, I forget the exact number, but you then the city often has to put all water on a boil oh, mandate yeah? because they feel like if there's not enough pressure and water flowing the through the system, then that's when it's going to start becoming contaminated. Yep. I've I've been in cities that had boil mandates. It's not a fun place. I mean, they're usually not very long, but still very inconvenient. Right. Exactly. So I watched an interesting video by Neil deGrasse Tyson, where he was talking about water towers. And the thing that was particularly interesting to me are the bands you see around the outside of typically metal water towers. Oh, And more specifically, not like the big spaceship-looking ones in the middle of town, but maybe the kind of, you know, cylinder-shaped ones that have the roofs on top that maybe sit on top of tall buildings that just service that building. And he points out that, if you've ever noticed, the bands closer to the top of the tank are spaced out. And then the lower you get on the tank, the bands are closer together. So he gave this really cool, um, I mean, in the thing, it was a video that I was watching, uh, like a little cartoon, right, demonstrated his point. But basically, if you divide the tank into, you know, three equal pieces from top to bottom, if the top third of water weighs a 1,000 pounds, that band around the tank has to hold a 1,000 pounds. Right. So then the next one down, if that's also a 1,000 pounds, oh. has to hold 2,000 pounds of water. So it needs maybe two bands. And then that third bottom part has to now hold 3,000 pounds, so it might need three bands. And I just thought I never thought about that those are actual structural pieces and not just, oh, it looks cool to have the bands get thicker. Or not thicker, but, you know, more of them as you go down. Yeah. I would have also thought that the band at the top would contribute to taking some of the loads off the band at the bottom, but I guess in terms of gravity, that's not really how that works. And it's just all stacked on top and of each other. And it's trying to keep the water, which wants to go out, in, so you've got the force pushing outward, so the bands have to... Very. That's a very interesting fact, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil. It's a very interesting fact, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I can't say his name. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. <laughs> slower. We have to say it slower. Yes, I thought it was interesting. I also read another interesting fact. So when water towers used to be made of wood, they were often made by barrel makers. Oh. And they would have gaps between the slats. And so when you first would fill the tank, they would obviously leak a bit. Mm -hmm. But then as the wood got saturated with the water, the wood swelled and sealed it. And then it became watertight. But if you were to have them too close together, they're all going to split apart. Yeah. That's science. Yeah. I mean, that's some craftsmanship to put that together right Mm -hmm. there. Okay, Amy. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to get a little dark. So for this next part, if we've got young listeners, we might want to earmuff this. Who thought we'd have earmuffs in a water tower episode? You know, I fit it in where I can. (laughs) So there is a very famous death that includes a water tower that I feel like I would, you know, just not be covering the topic well if I didn't touch on this. Okay. Is it a murder? We don't know. Okay. Yeah. 
So the Cecil Hotel in LA is a very notorious hotel. In fact, I think at some point there were two serial killers who stayed there. At the same time? Not the same time. But in the course, I mean, the Cecil Hotel has existed since something like 1927 or something. So over time, there have been, and actually like committed crimes in the hotel. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about in 2013, Canadian tourist Elisa Lamb went missing. Is this the one where they found her in it? Yeah, I mean, you should spoil the whole thing. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, we're talking about water towers. We knew it was coming. Yes. So she was reported missing by her parents. She was in the U.S., you know, on break from school and had been checking in with her parents every day. Well, she doesn't check in. So her parents call the, you know, local authorities in L.A. to report that she's missing. 19 days later, her body was discovered by maintenance workers in one of the four hotel water towers. Oh. So the interesting thing is that they had been using scent dogs in the room she was staying at and trying to track her. And the dogs could, you know, track her around the hotel, but then they kept losing her scent. Oh. So the maintenance workers eventually go and check the tank because they're getting guests that are complaining about low water pressure and a weird taste. Oh. So the autopsy didn't reveal anything suspicious about her death. There was no obvious evidence of any sort of assault. You know, when they did the toxicology report, there was no illicit drugs in her system. The only thing that was kind of suspicious was she was bipolar and on medication. And the dosage they found in her system was not her prescribed. It wasn't enough of her medication. So there's a theory, and I don't know how valid it is, but that maybe because she wasn't taking enough of her medication, she had some sort of manic episode decided to go for a swim, something happens, and she accidentally drowns. Wow. That's very sad. It's very sad. So there's been a lot of criticism about the autopsy and this case from, you know, people who follow the true crime stuff. Some of the things I read, and again, I don't know how valid this is, the autopsy was incomplete, or there were samples collected but not processed. Like, you know, they took fingernail scrapings but never checked to make sure that there wasn't other people's DNA oh. in it. You know, things like that. So some people claim that it wasn't a complete enough event investigation. Sure. There's also a question about how Lamb got into the tank. That's what I was going to ask. So the doors and stairs that access the hotel's roof are locked and only staff has passcode and keys. Suspicious. Right. There's also, according to the hotel, an alarm that would be triggered if you broke through the system without using the key or the passcode. Okay. So she was with somebody then. So. Or snuck out there when someone else went up there. So, I mean, one theory, yeah, maybe she was with hotel staff. I don't know. But the other thing that's interesting is the hotel's fire escape can give you access to the roof. Oh. So there's a theory that she used the fire escape to go up onto the roof and didn't go through the door. The door. And something I read online, again. Hearsay. Hearsay. Is that the tracking dog the police used stopped near a window that had had the fire escape on the outside of it. Okay, well. But again, I don't know how true that is. The internet. Or if somebody is embellished. But I guess somebody did go stay at the hotel and took a video of themselves using the fire escape and they easily got onto the roof. So it's very plausible that that's how she got onto the roof. 
But how did she get in the tank? Well, that's another thing. Any random person might go, you know, cause chaos on the roof if the fire escape lets you up there. But how do you get in a water tank? So apparently there's a service door on the tanks. Oh. Which is how the maintenance worker found her because he went up there and one of the service doors on the tank was open. So these are, these tanks are four by eight foot. So they're not huge. Cylinders up on concrete blocks. There's no fixed access to them, meaning there's no stairs that lead up to the service doors. So hotel staff and maintenance have to use a ladder to access the service door. Well, she wasn't eight feet tall. So, yeah. And, you know, so I don't know how she got in. But she got in. Obviously, she couldn't close the service door behind her. So that's how the maintenance worker knew something was weird because it was open. He stuck his head in and she was there. Which you'd think that maybe uh, if someone else was had bad intentions, they would have closed the door. So that's interesting. Or they would have thought, well, she couldn't have closed. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. But what is interesting is they couldn't get her out through the door and preserve the integrity of the crime scene. So they oh. end up having to cut the tank in half to properly get her out and preserve wow. the evidence. So we're talking, you know, I mean, obviously an opening enough a person can go through, but not a big opening. Wow. The weirdest part about the whole thing, in my opinion, is that there's elevator surveillance video taken of her the day before she went missing or like that her parents reported her missing. And in this video, and you can watch it online, it's public, she's just acting very strangely. It's only a couple minutes long, but like first she comes into the elevator and she's alone. There's nobody else in the frame of the video that you can see at all. So she comes in the elevator, she's alone. She kind of crouches down where like all the like the button panel is. I don't know, in one report I read that she pushed all the floor numbers or what. But this elevator door is staying open a long time. So if anything, I feel like she locked it open. Hmm. And then at one point she peeks around the outside of the elevator, almost as if she's waiting for somebody and like holding it. Like, you know, where are you coming? Yeah. Come on, are you coming? And then she comes back in and then she stands in like the front corner with her back in the corner against the button panel. So she's facing into the middle of the elevator with her back into the corner. And then she stands like that for a while. And then again, she peeks around the corner and then a couple of times she actually leaves the elevator. I mean, she's still in frame. You can see her right outside the elevator. She comes back in, she goes back in and she keeps looking around the corner. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, a lot of suspicions that there's somebody else involved because who is she hiding from or who is she waiting for or crazy. Unfortunately, there's no good answer. It's, I mean, as far as like the city of LA, I think it's a closed case because it's an act. They, you know, filed it as an accidental death because they don't have any evidence of anything else to go off going on. And there's a ton of, Other theories online, you know, several podcasts, you know, true crime podcasts have covered this in more depth if you're interested in digging in a little bit more. But like I said, this was a pretty famous case and we can't go the whole thing of water towers and not mention it, especially because it's me. Now, if it was your episode, then fine. I don't expect you to bring this up. I would have 100% not brought this up. I also wouldn't brought this up when it's nighttime when we're recording this and I have to go drive in the dark. So I hope you're proud of yourself. Well, I mean... I think I did a good job summarizing the case, so I am a little bit proud of myself. Well, I hope that our listeners really, really enjoy it. I hope so, too. All right, but you know what, Amy? Because I do love you, we're going to end with fun stuff. I'm ready. 
Consider this your palate cleanser. I appreciate that. So fun fact, Qatar Electricity and Water Corporation, which is based in Doha, has achieved the largest drinking water storage tank. Do you want to guess how big it is? No. In gallons? In Yeah, U.S. gallons. And I'll give you a hint. It's hundreds of thousands. 483,000. Oh, I'm sorry. I think this is millions. 483 million gallons. <laughs> 115,346,354.61 U.S. gallons. Oh, my Lanta. Huge. All right. You want to hear about some fun water tanks around America? I'm waiting for all the fun. All right. In Lexington, Kentucky, their water tank is made to look like a Dixie cup. That's cute. The Dixie Cup plant used to be in Lexington, but it no longer is. But they maintain the Dixie Cup water tank. It's like the Longenberger basket building when they built that building to look like a basket. It's still cute regardless. It's just cute, yeah. In Niles, Illinois, their water tank is a replica of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Also adorable. Although it doesn't lean quite as much. Well, yeah, that kind of defeats the purpose. So it's more like a... Totally straight tower. Yeah, like if it was, I don't want to say built properly, that sounds mean, but just stood normal. Yes. Yeah. In Collinsville, Illinois, apparently Illinois has a lot of fun water tanks. It has the world's largest ketchup bottle, which is actually the top of their water tower is made to look like a ketchup bottle. I think more water towers should be fun. This is my favorite part. Right? It was constructed in 1949 for the Brooks Ketchup Plant. And it has its own fan club, the Water Tower. That's adorable. You can join for $25. It includes a membership card, a t-shirt, a certificate, and you can get their emails. Adorable. What is the Water Tower emailing them? I have no idea. You have to sign up for the fan club. Well, if someone is part of the fan club, we would love to know. Yes, please email us. In Stanton, Iowa, the Water Tower looks like a coffee pot. Adorable. To honor Virginia Christine, who was a resident of the town. She was an actress was best known as Mrs. Olsen in the Folgers ads in the 60s and 70s. Oh, cute. So they made the tower look like a coffee pot to honor her. It is the best part of waking up. It is. All right. Others include painted like a watermelon. Love it. Painted like a peach. Love it. Painted like a rose. Love it. And one that has like a skinny base on it was painted to look like a golf ball sitting on a tee. Love it. So there you go, Amy. That's all I have for you this evening on Water Towers. Do with that what you will. You really delivered on the fun. Thanks for letting us talk at you. If you have any comments, corrections, suggestions, or fun facts, you can email us at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. Spell it all the words. It is also our Instagram, Facebook, and website. You can find us there. Talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24 Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bambino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified of future episodes.